This is Dorel Lalia, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast, episode 189. Yeah. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7 Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all-round geek. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobsher, the Cashflow Ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place. Mr. Hollywood himself presents the Before the Millions podcast. And now your host, DeRay Olalaye. What is going on, good people? Welcome to a brand new installment of the Before the Millions podcast. This is installment 189. And um, we are 11 episodes away from episode 200. Wow. Just wow. I mean, just wow. That is crazy. Time flies. And I'm thinking on episode 200, we're going to do something extra special. So make sure that you are around for episode 200. It's been a amazing, an amazing four years hosting this podcast and interviewing millionaires from all over the world. I think it's the entrepreneur in me, but I'm, I, I genuinely feel like this is just the beginning. I genuinely feel like we're just getting started. I genuinely feel like the best is yet to come. So I want to appreciate you. I want to thank you. I want to make sure that you know that I have so much gratitude for you and everyone in the community. Everyone who's been around since 2017, 2018, heck, 2019. Side note, I would start recording as soon as my lawn care guy starts cutting, but hopefully you cannot hear it. And not to get too mushy, so let's get to the episode. I mean, on today's episode, we have on financial expert, Mr. David Richter. And David has done in his lifetime over 850 real estate transactions. And through those experiences, through mismanagement of cash flow, which, again, this is something that I think is like a rite of passage for all real estate investors, especially if you make 30000 one month and then the next month you make zero dollars. I mean, this goes for agents as well, where your 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 income is not stable. You can make a whole lot of money three months in a row, and then the next six months are dry. Trust me, I've been there. But the key to having great financial success and financial stability is two words, financial literacy. And financial literacy, as you know, is not taught in school. That's why David, today's guest, is going to say his favorite book time and time again is Rich Dad, Poor Dad, because it's the book that opened all of our eyes, right? So once you learn financial literacy, you'll start to see some of the other building blocks, such as the where-it-all to be able to forecast, to be able to plan properly, to be able to have the right mindset. So on today's episode, we're going to talk about some tactics because, again, we could talk about a bunch of high-level overviews and a bunch of high-level concepts all day long. 
And you can maybe feel like you viscerally get it. And it's one thing to understand something from a high level point of view, but it's a total other thing to put a good plan in action or to live by certain rules, certain financial rules. So, for instance, we're going to talk about a what's called a pass through bank account. And this is no different from any other bank account, but it's going to have the title in your mind as a pass through bank account. So this tactical procedure that we're going to show you how to do here on this episode helps you with the abstract concepts such as forecasting and effective money management for maybe upcoming expenses. I hope I didn't confuse you, but all in all, we're taking these abstract abstract money concepts, we're adding tactical, physical, I can go and do this tomorrow type activities to make sure that those abstract concepts don't go unchecked. So with all that being said, we're much more better showers than tellers. So let's just go ahead and show you what we mean by jumping into the episode. But first, as you know, we have a tip of the week in store for you. And this tip of the week is all about credit and fraud. Yeah, credit and fraud. Oh, and one more thing. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd like for you to do two things for me. One, you can subscribe to this podcast feed. Okay, I'd like you to do three things. One, you can subscribe to this podcast feed. Two, you can leave us a five-star rating and review. And if you really like the concepts that we talk about here in this episode, I've linked to some other Profit First episodes that we've done in the past with some other guests, and those episodes are simply amazing. More particularly, if you go back and listen to episode 146 with Rocky Lavani, your mind will be blown. That's the preface. If you go back and listen to the episode, even if you've listened to it before, go back and listen to that episode. It's called Profit First, The 20-Hour Workweek, and The 4-Hour Body. Episode 146. Go check it out. It's also in the show notes of this episode. All right, I'm done. Off my soapbox, onto the tip of the week, and then our feature presentation. DeRay's Tip of the Week. In the United States, one in every 15 people are victims of identity fraud or identity theft. And last weekend, I hit the quota. (laughs) So I start getting emails from walmart.com. And and the subject of these emails say, DeRay, thanks for your delivery order. And I get one at like 5.18 p.m. And then I'm looking. I get another one at 521 p.m. I'm looking for some others. Hold on. I get another one at 522 p.m. I get another one at 522 p.m. So I get two at 522 p.m. I get another one at 524 p.m. And I'm just like, what in the world is going on? Like, I'm not on Walmart.com. I'm not ordering anything. And lo and behold, somebody has stolen my identity. So um, the first thing I do is I call Walmart. I'm just like, hey, what's going on? And Walmart has some type of internal something that allows them to know that this is identity fraud. So like three of the five transactions were like automatically flagged and reversed, but two of them still went through. So I was just like, oh, shoot, this is not good. Um, So the next thing I do, the next thing I do is I reach out to Google because the identity fraud person is purchasing Google Play credits or something of that nature. Google Play gift cards. I don't know, but they're finding ways to purchase gift cards and turn it into cash, I think. Um, so I contact Google Play and um, I don't really get anywhere with them. 
Um, they don't really care that somebody has purchased Google Play cards from them. They made money. They just said, hey, contact your credit card company. And I was like, that's actually interesting because I looked at the credit card that they were using, which is, I guess, in my name. And I don't have a credit card with those last four digits. I was like, so how are they using my credit card or what credit card or debit card are they using? What in the world is going on? So I look at all my credit cards and I'm just like, well, I don't have a credit card with those last four. I don't have a bank account with those last four. I don't know that they apply for a new one. And ultimately, I went to. And this is where the tip of the week kicks in. I went to creditkarma.com, which is a fun little tool that I've been using since I think um, forever. I think a lot of us use it. Hopefully, if you haven't been using it, you need to get on it. But it's a free credit monitoring service. Okay. And the way it works is you get your scores and reports from all three of the credit bureaus. Not only do you get your scores and reports, but it's super helpful. Right. You can dispute charges straight from the dashboard. They make recommendations for new credit cards that they think fit your profile that you can apply for and most likely get approved. And it's free again. You don't pay them a dime. They get paid by the bank or the lender if you do get a product through their service. It's like they're, they're affiliates, basically. But anyways, I used Credit Karma to see if I had a new credit card or if there was, you know, any suspicious activity on any of my other cards. And there wasn't. So moral of the story is use Credit Karma or a site like it to monitor your credit and what's going on, especially when it comes to identity theft. Right. The only reason I checked and I should probably check a lot more frequently, but the only reason I checked is because I had these weird Walmart transactions. But most identity theft, you don't even realize that it's going on. Check on your scores and check on your reports as frequently as possible. And also check out Credit Karma again for all the other things that they offer. I mean, they're trying to get me to switch insurance providers and save thirty five dollars a month. So I may have to look into that. You should look into it too. creditkarma.com. Oh, and to wrap up the story, because Walmart couldn't actually give out the credit card information of whoever used my account to purchase whatever they purchased. Um, we have no information on what card they have and what they use, but it's none of my cards. So it went from me thinking, oh, this is identity theft and they're using my money to, to no, they may just be money laundering their own money with whatever card they have, putting it on Google Play gift cards. And I don't know, but it sounds more like money laundering than um, them actually stealing uh, anything of value, which is debatable because I think my identity is very valuable. But anyways, on to the show. And now your feature presentation. Someone, one of my friends gave me rich dad, poor dad, and I didn't realize how unsatisfied I was <laughs> until I read that book and it opened my eyes to a different world. It really did. And to another way of thinking, cause my dad, like I said, I had good parents. My dad had worked in Chicago for 24 years, you know, like at a high rise apartment building. And, you know, it was just like, get a good job, go to, you know, get up, go to work, get a good job, do all that stuff that you're supposed to do. And that's when I read that book. I'm like, I don't want this. <laughs> I don't want the, what I've seen, you know, and it, there was nothing wrong with it either. Like, we spent time together and he was a good, you know, he was there at my games, you know, like there was no trauma like that um, during that time. And I didn't even realize that I needed, you know, that I had something else to even look at. And that was when I read that book, it really shook me to my core. And then I started a very much intense personal journey then 
uh, down the real estate path, down a different way of thinking about money and wealth. And yeah, there's been several of those corners turned in my life. And that was when I started buying some rental properties and started buying some, you know, real estate. And then I started working with a company where I was already doing like five or six deals a month. And we took it to about 25 deals a month, you know, like at the highest point. So about 300 deals a year. And looking at that, it really clicked for me then because I got to sit in a lot of the different seats. I got a crash course on learning small business and scaling a real estate and uh, investing business. And I got to sit in a lot of the seats and one of the seats was finance. And that was after sitting in the marketing seat and the acquisitions and the sales and you know getting to see all the inner workings. Once I sat in the finance seat, I saw how it all came together and like not many people, I was going to masterminds at that time with the company too. And just a lot of people didn't understand their finances, the business finances. And after reading Robert Kiyosaki's book and reading other books on like personal finance, then I got into the business finance side of it to say, what's really going on here? How does the marketing affect everything else in order to get this sale? And what do all those numbers mean? And once I had that data, you know, like we were doing six, seven figures a month easily at our highest point. But we were also spending that much too. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, like that was a huge light bulb moment as well for me in my life to say there has to be a better way. And so I started actually during that time, once I had that light bulb, I didn't get to have it for very long because I moved across the country because I could and wanted to be closer to family and started working with another investor. And that's when another light bulb moment came. And I started helping him get his finances in order just to be able to see, you know, like where he stood. You know, just the general overview of being able to make decisions from his data and not just the gut feeling of what, you know, like your tax, your CPA tells you at the end of the year. And he looked at me and said, like, you've changed my life. And that like kind of floored me, wasn't expecting that, you know, and I don't say that egotistically. It was just like, okay, wow. You know, I never knew that this had the potential to do that. So I then that's when I got the spark to start the business, Simple CFO, and start helping people just realize where they were financially. And then, so that's when I also, when I had the idea to start it, I called one of my mentors and he suggested profit first. So that was another big shakeup to the core too of that, you know, that way of thinking and that methodology. So there was, I could pinpoint several times in my life where I'm like, this is a hard change from what I've been thinking. And this is the new direction of what I need to go and need to help people in that direction. So there were several times where I'm like, I didn't even know I was discontent until, until I got into the weeds almost or into the data. And then I said, okay, now it makes sense. And now I, there's a better way of doing this. So there was several different points in my life where that happened. I love that. Now, speaking of the weeds and the data, let's, again, we're in the time machine. We're a little bit further back. I want to see if I can pull some nuggets out of this. Do you remember the details of the investor that you were working with and how you transformed his life? Like how many properties he owned? What was the first thing that you asked him for? How long did the process take? And what was the process, right? What what what, what did he look like in the beginning of the process? And what did his financial situation look like at the end of the process? So he had about 40 rental units. He was flipping maybe two houses a month. So he wasn't as active as the ones I was working with before, but kind of like that too. It was like getting able to see and be more profitable. So that's kind of where his business was when we first started, then started diving into the numbers. Cause that was one of the things 
that after coming from that other company, I was a little bit scarred of like, I want to make sure he's making money, you know, that he knows his finances. And then I kind of saw some things like, okay, this doesn't really make sense. When I first went into, I dove into his actual QuickBooks data, you know, and said, what, what is his profit and loss look like? What does the balance sheet really look like? Is he cash flowing money or is he bleeding money? And at that time, even before I could read that, I could tell things were not input correctly from the current bookkeeper. You know, and I'm like, I hate bookkeeping, you know, like I'm not a bookkeeper, but I like the data it gives me. So I'm like, we got to get someone in here and clean this up. What, so, what, what, what did he believe before you came in? What did he believe was going on? He believed that they were updating the things and, you know, updating his books and, and he believed that he was prof, but he, he believed that he was profitable. Yes. He believed he was profitable. Was he, he profitable? He, he had, he had cash in the, in the business and I would, yes, he was profitable. It it did not turn out to be the scary story. Like a lot of people who I work with now, it was not nearly that scary uh, when we actually dove into it, but I couldn't even tell that at the beginning, you know, like I couldn't even see like very clearly because there was a lot of things not in the right place or a lot not categorized. So he being an investor most people don't go down the path of what does it really take to do my finances and what do I need to be able to give the people in order to get the data I need at the high level of the investor. So after putting some systems in place, like we had to get rid of that bookkeeper or that company, it was actually a CPA firm and that was doing the books as well. And so we got rid of them and the CPA for the taxes and you know, like got a different person in to help with the bookkeeping. And then that helped almost immediately be able to see you know, and get those processes in place. Like, okay, if a, if a property sells, this is who we're going to send the HUD to. This is how it's going to be recorded. I want the property PL pulled right away, you know, so we can make decisions from, okay, this is the profit that we have from this property. So like we established some processes like that to get very real data that we can make decisions on. And then another thing that happened too, once we were cleaning up, this was the magic. On the balance sheet is where your rentals sit and where your properties that sit long-term. And we saw too, like once that was all cleaned up, I saw right away, he was very under leveraged on his rental portfolio. He had put a lot of his own money in. He had some private money or some long-term mortgages, but he was at like 35% you know, like LTV, the loan to the value of the properties. He only had loans about 35% on those properties. And he's like, you know, my risk tolerance is a little bit more than 35%. So he's like, I think I should go and refinance this. And so he did. This was at the end of 2019. He went to his local bank and said, I've got about a 40 unit portfolio. I want to, I want to refinance these ones specifically. And they went through that process and he ended up getting, you know, close to half a million dollars in cash and because he was so under leveraged. And if you kind of remember at the beginning of 2020, something happened that kind of like shook up the world. And, you know, like that was all, you know, made people very scared of what was going to happen. And here he was sitting on more than 12 months worth of his operating expenses in cash. And he's like, I, I could go this way, that way, the other way, you know, like he said, now I have cash to be able to make decisions and opportunities and do whatever I need to. But I also have the numbers to tell me, like if a crash were to come, is it more profitable for me to wholesale this deal or should I keep it long term during this downturn or whatever may come in order to cash flow it for a longer period of time? So he like he was able to make his decisions from the data. And that to him was when, you know, like a couple months into it, it took three months to kind of get his everything in order. He was not 
a hopeless case or some of the people that we come to that have like six years worth of data to clean up. But he came to us, there was about a year's worth to clean up, took about three months to really get through everything. And then he had that data in his hands to be able to make these decisions. And that's when he said, you know, you've changed my life by helping us with the financial aspect. Yeah, I love that for sure. And, you know, I think about the fact that whenever anybody is in a situation like this, I mean, it's it's daunting. It's just like, man, like, uh, I don't want to switch companies and they, they right. got to start all over. And uh, what about this? And what about that? They know my business and my books and I got to take time out and how much do they charge? And, you yeah. know, but 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 in the long run, it, it proved to be beneficial. And this is where you kind of thought that you you had something, but this is even before you even learned about the profit first system. So I could yeah. just imagine you're just going in and you cleaned up, you know, his books per se, but you didn't really implement quote unquote, a strategy for him to use moving forward um, to be able to keep more of his money, right? So it was a great, great, great thing that you did. And it was, a, it was, a, it was an eye opener for you and him, but there were, you know, like people like to say, there are levels. Yeah, exactly. There are levels. <laughs> and that was the very first level. Like we had to build that foundation. We had to make sure that he could at least make those decisions. And then when I feel, when I found out about profit first, I brought that to him first and said, we got to do this. You know, like we have to implement this going forward and he's still running on it today. And I want to, I want to brag on him as an investor. Like he's that, he's the hero of this journey. Like he was the one that took the chance on me saying, you know, like saying, yes, let's do this. Let's implement this system and then sticking to it and actually doing that because we'll work with some people. And sometimes it's like pulling teeth, you know, or like nails on a chalkboard to them sometimes. But in the end, if he, if they follow what he did, yeah, he's got a system for his finances. Now he's got profit first in place too, to be able to build the cash. Like he did, he, he built up in the last year, he built up quite a bit of reserves and then like in one of the accounts for himself. And then he wanted to sell some properties on his own, but didn't want private money. So he used his capital. Now he's going to pay himself back, you know, like with interest and like all this stuff because he had a system to be able to manage those finances as they were coming in now. So yeah, there's definitely levels of, of where we need to get. Let's get the foundation. Let's get the mind in the right place first, like of where this, the long-term goal is. And then let's execute and bring systems in place to get to execute on those principles. Absolutely. When you when you talk about systems and setting the foundation, I mean, what is that? What does that mean in this in this scenario? Like, what does that look like? Like when you set up the right foundation for him and others, I mean, what do they go on doing? How is how is their systems per se changed? First of all, they have a new a system when we work and when we help them, because usually a lot of people don't when we come and, and they just they think they they hand off. Most entrepreneurs just in general and real estate investors just hand off their books to a CPA or bookkeeper and think everything's hunky-dory. And what, are, and, and what are they typically handing off? A bunch of receipts or at least like some sort of some sort of like compilation of accounts? Like what are they typically handing off? Not much. <laughs> We've had people, uh, I would say the typical person, maybe yes, maybe some receipts and maybe like here's my login and here's the bank connection to it, you know, like help me get this in order but then they kind of leave them alone. And if they don't have a good person there who cares and is like reaching out to them to say, this is the process we need for me to get the data I need stuff just sits there. You know, it sits there in like uncategorized or, you know, like they have no idea what's going on. And so no one has it. They don't have a system 
at the beginning. So like one of the first things we do now though with people is implement profit first, even if they don't have their books in order, because we want them to manage their cash. We want to get their cash in order. We want to make sure they have a system to manage what's going in and going out because most entrepreneurs, like we just, like you just asked, give their receipts to a CPA at the end of the year and say, here, do a tax return for me. And like, so that way I can just get to the next year and they don't, they're not managing by any set of books or whatnot. That's a lot of people too, that just do manage their books by not having books and just giving receipts. So that's where we come in and say, we got to get at least the system down to manage your cash first. Because the number one reason businesses go out of business is a lack of cash and running out of cash, which is, I know, a huge surprise. But we got to make sure we put some sort of system in there. So even if they have a great system for managing their like financials, like the profit and loss and whatnot, usually most people don't have a great system for managing the cash flow. And real estate is all about cash flow. I mean, if you're an active flipper or a wholesaler, your cash goes like a roller coaster, up, down, up, down all the time. You got to have some way to even it out. So that's where we come in and say, let's at least get the principles in place of profit first, managing your cash, getting you secure that you know that you're not going to run out of cash. Then we say, okay, at that same time, really happens in tandem. We're looking at their actual financials, the books that they have, their QuickBooks or whatever, to say, okay, is your data good? And if it's not good, then what's the process that you're using right now? Who's on your team? What systems are you using right now? Are you even using like software to manage things? You know, like some of these things that are very simple. Do you use some, how are you paying your current contractors or your vendor? So, you know, like, are you still cutting checks once a week as the owner? Like, or do you have a system? like a bill.com or something to streamline that and really have an approval process, you know, for paying. So you can hand that off in the future. So it's putting some of those key systems and processes in place to make sure that they are good now foundationally for the long term. I love it. When I think about, again, putting some type of system together, um, the first thing that, that, comes to mind obviously is profit first i remember when i first discovered profit first like for some reason or another my my small brain couldn't fathom how i could implement profit first in real estate it just didn't make sense to me like i could implement it in my coaching business i can implement it in any other business but because real estate you're taking a loan against the property you have all these other things going on i was just like yeah, I like profit first. I'm going to do profit first, but I'm just going to keep it away from my investments. <laughs> and I don't know how many other investors have maybe had that thought or inclination, but um, but that's your specialty and that's what you teach and that's what you do. So yep. first talk to me about what is the profit first system and then how have you began to tailor it to real estate investors? Sure. So the profit first system is a mindset first and foremost. You got to get the principles down. You got to get the you got to get the thing behind the thing, you know, like the, you've got to get the strategy before the tactical. So what it is, is a whole mindset of the regular formula for everyone is usually sales minus expenses equals profit. Meaning you make a sale, you sell a deal, you know, and then you get the cash in, you pay all your expenses and your mother. And then what's left over is the profit. And hopefully you have something at the end of the year, the end of the month, the end of the quarter, that's yours. But the profit first mentality is you, the whole formula is sales minus profit equals expenses, meaning you make a sale, you pay yourself first, put it somewhere else, and then what's left over is what you have to fund the expenses of the business. And that mental shift 
is a big shift in going from the masses, the entrepreneurial masses. I mean, it's so funny. Real estate investors and entrepreneurs want to be different anyway. Then they follow the entrepreneurs right off the cliff of thinking the way that all entrepreneurs think. But then you got to think a little differently from the financial aspect of, I have to make sure myself and the business is healthy or we will run out of cash and we will be one of those, another statistic. So it's getting that inside of you, that profit is a habit, not an event. It is something that you bake into every deal, into every thought process, into every action that you do and making sure that you have that profit. So how do you do that? So that's the strategic portion. What's the practical or the tactical portion? It's physically setting up bank accounts, kind of like the envelope method, but for a business to say, and I call, I'm a nerd. I'm a big nerd. I love all the movies. I love the epic sagas like Harry Potter, Star Wars. You know, they got the three heroes all the time. Harry, Ron, Hermione, Luke, Han, Leia. You know, so they've got three main heroes that are always pushing the story forward. You know, they're always making sure good wins. They might stumble sometimes, but at the end, you know, that's where the story goes and that's where you want it to go. Well, in your business, you need three main heroes like that. You need a profit account, Number one, first and foremost, an owner's compensation for any work you do inside of the business. And then you need an owner's tax account, making sure your taxes are paid for from the business. Those three accounts are specifically for you, the owner, because how many times you go, you set up a new company. First thing you do is I need a checking account for my expenses. Like we already think like we just need to spend a lot of money in order to make a lot of money. That's what everyone teaches us and conditions us. But this is turning that around with something physical to say, these accounts are for the business health and for my health. Like, so that way I'm not just focused on expenses because what we focus on expands. So that's where you have to, the profit first also combines not just the strategy of pay yourself first, but the actual tactical side of here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to create these accounts and then from every single deal, transfer a percentage into those accounts from every single deal that I do and make profit a habit inside my business. So that's kind of like the, the profit first overview. How I've equated it to real estate and how I've really helped people is there's different types of income in real estate. There's really the income that you make that from the, like the active and the passive, we all know that. But there's also the inflow, I should call it inflow instead, the inflow that comes in like from loans or like when we do a property, when we purchase a property and we also get the the maybe a private loan or a bank loan or whatever, a line of credit that funds the purchase price plus repairs plus whatever the holding costs. Well, that's like pass through, you know, like that is coming into your company, but then you're spending it right away on what it was intended for. So that's almost like a pass through. So I talk about that and how that's, a part of what the getting to the real revenue is making sure that you've paid back all the loans that you have when you sell and it comes off the HUD. And then once you really have left over, you know, that you can run on the, the profit and loss is the actual property profit from that property, which is the real revenue. You know, like if you're selling, that's the real revenue. So that's where this pass through account is really for anything that passes through your hands, but it's for someone else. If you've got commissions, you know, like that you pay salespeople, that's pass through. Like in order to bring the deal in, if you, unless you are the actual one bringing the deal in, but if you have actual acquisitions manager, that's pass through, meaning you, you take in the money, but then you have to pay them because they are the ones that the deals hinged on. So like those commissions would be a part of that pass through. So it's like making sure that you have 
you know what that pass through is. It's basically anything that goes right through. Same thing with principal and interest on the rental side. You've got the principal and interest that you take that money in, but if you have a mortgage, it needs it goes right back out. Like in order to keep that property, you have to t- pay the principal, interest, the taxes, and the insurance. Like you have to do those things in order to keep the property. You know, like even if you pay off your principal and interest, you'll still always have taxes and insurance. So you have to say, what is the pass through? What is coming in that is automatically going to other people? Then once you have that concept down at and the real estate investing, the other big one that we like to preach inside of our company and inside what I'm preaching inside of the book, uh, Profit First for Real Estate Investing, is the the thought of reserves. Is there any other group of people that uh, do you want to stop first? Yeah, well, I want to stop before we get to reserves because okay. I'm still stuck on the pass-through accounts. Okay. What What's the importance of understanding how pass-through works from an accounting point of view? Who cares what accountants think? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, the pass-through is for this whole concept. Profit first is not built for the accountant. It's not built for gap. It's built for the owner to manage their cash. That's where on the back end, everything's going to flow normally through gap. Got it. Okay. You know, like, okay. Yep. Everything inside of the books still going to happen the same. What I'm talking about is like, you might want to set up an account a bank account specifically for pass-through or like we like to call it OPM, other people's money, you know, like that goes right from your hands to someone else. I like it. And so that's more for the investor and the entrepreneur who understands cash in, cash out. And yeah. that, you know, like where it sits on that stuff, let the accountant tell me and help me and we'll make decisions together on that side of things. Yeah. So that's it's where- a, it's a, it's, it, I think it's a, I think it's a, it's a major, it's a major, um, what's the word, but it's a, it's a solution when it comes to helping us with our mindset. Right. I think it's more of a mindset solution than anything else. Right. Uh, Like you said, as far as accounting goes, nothing changes, but from a mindset aspect, I mean, it's, it's monumental. It's huge. And I get that. I get that. Absolutely. All right. Let's, let's talk about reserves. Oh yeah. Cause is there another group of entrepreneurs besides real estate investors who can't just sit on cash? Cause I feel like You've got other entrepreneurs who might be a restaurant or might be like a dentist or a doctor who's in their own practice, but like they're a little reserved. At least my perception is some people might be a little bit more reserved, but like the entrepreneur and the real estate investing, oh, I have a dollar here. Well, I can make make $10 over here. (laughs) So I really hammer this. I I dedicate a whole chapter to it in the book because I have now I'm, I have 10 years in the real estate investing world. I've seen over 850 deals done, been a part of all those deals, done my own deals. And like the best thing I could tell you is the reserves is a total mental thing. Number one, to make sure that you are ready for any opportunity that comes down the pipeline. Number two, it's really for the peace of mind to make sure you could weather any storm as well too. Like making sure you have those reserves but also it's to grow your business. Like reserves to me, grow my business more than always chasing that next deal. What that means is investors, lenders, banks will want to lend more and will want to invest in me more if they see that I'm fiscally responsible. And if I'm sitting on you know three, six months of reserves, I'm not talking about you need to have 10 years worth in the bank. I'm talking about reserves to where they could see I've got liquid cash, right now to spring on any opportunity. And then you can really leverage that into more OPM. Like if you are, and you know what too, you deserve it at that point. 
because you've shown that you are capable to hold reserves and be able to say, I'm fiscally responsible, more people are going to want to lend and you're going to be able to use less and less of your money. But let's just say a hot deal comes along, like a super hot one, and you need to use a portion of that. And you say, I'll have it back. You know, like it's a double close and I'll have it back and I need to have it right now. Well, guess what? There you go. Do it. It's done. You've made the profit. And now you were able to capitalize on that opportunity. Or let's say you build a healthy reserves and another 2008 crash happens, you know, then can you go out there and buy rental properties for pennies on the dollar again? Can you start building a portfolio and hold the properties and then refinance them out because you've held them for like a year during a downturn and then you turn around and you are you know you're you you are able to go to the bank and they're able to say they're seasoned you're able to now pull that cash all back out so it's like to me reserves doesn't say is not like oh I can't invest in this deal or I can't invest in there it gives me options I'm huge on options and the mindset of I want to have options no matter if the market's great if the market's tanking if I'm you know like if I want to go out and get now I have an opportunity to do a big syndication and do like a 10 million dollar deal and I need a million dollars of my own you know it's like this gives me the gateway to the next level you know, and, and also this peace of mind that if something were to happen, I could fall back on it too. I mean, that's one of the things that why I preach this is I saw it happen. I saw it happen when coronavirus, you know, that started in March of last year and that investor had more than 12 months in the bank and no one knew. No one knew that real estate would just keep going bananas and keep going bonkers. Everyone was like, what's going on? Pennsylvania shut down like for months at a time, you know, that state, and you couldn't really transact a deal during that time. So it was like sitting on that cash gave him so much leverage to say, I could sit and wait. I could go out and make some deals. Now I could, you know, get some opportunities. He bought some properties that, you know, it was like, he was able to make those strategic moves because he could sit back without it being like, shoot, I need, I need every, every penny I have just to keep it going, or I'm living deal to deal. So I can't be able to take that responsibility, you know, like to go out there and take the opportunities. It gave him breathing room. So to me, it's reserves to me is growth. Reserves to me is like, this gives you the power in your hands now, instead of, you know, like living and being at the mercy of your company or the expenses or anything. So that's what reserves are to me. And that's what I hit pretty much very hard in the, in the book as well, too, from the real estate investor point of view. I like it. I like it a lot from the bank size, the bank's point of view, would they consider you putting that money and let's just say whole life insurance and still be classified as reserves. Ooh, now we're talking about infinite banking. So <laughs> I absolutely love infinite banking. And it's part of what we teach our investors in Simple CFO. Um, so I don't get me started there unless we want to be here for another. All right. <laughs> but, uh, that's where I look at that. Yes, that would go. That might be depending on how they put it in their name too. Did they do it on their name and LLC? You know, that's still going to be funds that the bank is going to look at and that I would bring forward at that time to show the bank if I wanted to. You know, like that's the other thing, too. You don't have to disclose that. Oh, man. Like I said, we could go down this road so much because there's I'm so many benefits <laughs> to the infinite banking process and going down that road and creating generational wealth that uh, I'm on a I'm on a mission here to like get this information out to the real estate investing world. So I love it. I was, I love I was it. like, I love that you brought that up because that's 
that's one of the pillars of our company is it's profit first, the financial clarity, like cleaning out the books and then infinite banking and wealth building and creation. So yeah, yeah, I, they will, they, they will let you use that. And you'll be able to then go out and say here, you know, I'm going to use this as collateral to get another loan, you know, or line of credit or whatnot. So it just just gets stupid. right? (laughs) It's like you're, you're your own line of credit. You can go out and get cheaper lines of credit from the bank too. You can like, it's, in a, the real estate investing world, I don't know if there is a more powerful, a powerful group of entrepreneurs that can utilize infinite banking to turbocharge their personal finances and their business finances right. because of the rates of return that real estate investors typically get by using something like the infinite banking process. It is insane what yeah. real estate investors can do to just in, continuously get their money out there back and without ever interrupting their interest at all, the interest that they make on their money. I love, so. it. I love it. Like David said, if we were to talk, go down that rabbit hole, we'd be here all day. Uh, right. So what I'll do is I'll link to a few uh, experts in the infinite wealth uh, space and I'll link to some of their episodes here. We'll stick to the subject when it comes to let's, 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 let's turn our focus to the fixers and flippers, right? They have the hardest time, I believe, maybe managing their money. Yes, how, how, how can, how can we help them today? manage their money better? How can we make sure that they don't run out of money? I mean, we're talking about profit first. We're talking about managing your finances as a real estate investor. And, you know, some of the most prominent investors were, are well known because of, you know, the large paydays, you know, we're not as well known because of our strategies and things of that nature, but the fixers and flippers, they get all the glory, but they right. broke the fastest. How do we help them manage their finances? Sure. So the flicks and flippers that we meet with, we help them by saying, what are your typical expenses? and helping them build reserves right away. They need to be able to even out their cash flow because they are. They're shooting the elephant all the time. They're shooting the elephant here and there, you know, like and then they're constantly if they have a big team, a lot of people are eating that elephant too. Mm-hmm. So, we have to make sure that they have several elephants in the freezer, you know, or like to make sure that they have those elephants when they're when they aren't able to go out and just shoot one and take one down or the closings are pushed back because it is a pandemic time and the lenders aren't closing on the deals because there's like so many factors inside of that or the borrower goes and buys a truck the day before you know the closing and it throws off their debt to income you know there's so many things there that it's not just the real estate investors fault you know like things that they physically can't control and that's where we say we have to start now. You have to start doing something different. What is that different thing? Building reserves right now for your operating expenses. So that way, if a closing doesn't happen, you're not scrambling like you have been the whole time. And then because if if you're not scrambling, if you have that peace of mind, you're able to go out and do the higher value, dollar value, and think about the things that are will actually move the company forward rather than scrambling around to say, shoot, I don't, we don't have the money from this closing got pushed back and now I got to cover it from over here. So I need a private loan real quick and then I'll pay it back once this, you know, once this deal closes. So it's like, instead of thinking about all that, let's get a process in place now. Let's even out that cash flow. Let's get like three months reserves in here as fast as possible from the elephants that you take down. You know, like let's separate out some of those percentage points just to do this. So that way you don't have to go through these times. Because yeah, there's been a lot of times when over the last few years as we've been doing this, it's like we have to put this in place for the investors and help them and help them understand 
you know, what we talked about here about reserves in order to help them even out that cash flow. That's why I love profit first too. It can help even out that cash flow. You're going to have the dips. You're going in the flipping world, you're going, especially if you're a fix and flipper, you're going to have those highs and lows. So we need to make the highs not as high and the lows not as low. The, well, the highs can be as high as you want, but the lows, let's not make them as low and scrambling for the cash. Yeah. So that's what we do. That's what we implement with the system. I love it. I love it. Have you have you um, have you been able to get in the same room with Michael Michalowicz? And what was that experience like if you have? Well, I actually got to know him more right at the beginning of the pandemic. So we had several spe- trips where we were going to be together and then those all got canceled last year. We are going to be in the same room in October, but I am writing Profit First for Real Estate Investing and he's been on, there's a 6 a.m. Uh, call every single morning on a Zoom call, you know, like a Zoom link where we go to write the book, you know, like our respective books and there's other people there too, but he's on there. He's been on there this week. He's spoken to our investors inside of Simple CFO and our clients there. So Mike is a very down to earth guy. He's very much what, you know, like, what he says in the books and like how he talks and how he acts is exactly how he is in, in real life too. He's hilarious, but he's also very real in the sense that he's, he's taken businesses and built them to millions of dollars and he's lost everything too, you know? And like, he owns that. He really does own that. And then he says, this is, this all was birthed out of that. And now he's got very many successful businesses. He is on a mission to get, you know, education out there. He's coming out with get different, I think is his next book that's coming out in September about marketing. So he's wrote, written a business book on marketing as well too. So that's, uh, he's, he's someone who I really respect and admire because he cares about the entrepreneur and is constantly working. I see him working 6 a.m. every morning, writing the next book or writing the next thing that's going to help entrepreneurs in general. What do you think was the key defining moment that gave you or allowed you or brought you the opportunity to write the profit first version for real estate investors? The experience I had implementing it with real estate investors. And I was, I'm a part of the profit first professional organization that Mike owns and leads. And so I just did, I, I, out of the blue, I emailed him and said, I think this, I think a book for real estate investing specifically should happen because of the success we've seen with our investors. And like, I can't work with everyone physically. So I want to get this information out there. And I brought it to him to like that. And he said, yeah, I totally agree. The real estate investing world has been seeking this because he's had some keynote speeches with, you know, real estate investing groups. And he was like, yeah, I totally agree about this. And so that was, that was the makings of it. We signed that agreement. And then the rest now is kind of history. The book will launch later in 2021. Share one of your favorite stories. I know you've shared the first story with the first investor that you helped before you really even got started. Share one of your favorite stories that's in the book so that we can maybe get a sneak preview. This is how I opened the introduction. So I had one investor that I was working with and he hung up on me. So let's start, let's start from there. I was like bewildered that he had hung up on me and this is Zoom, but I always picture him like slamming the phone down, you know, and being like, forget you. But uh, what, so let me write. This, this is after you started working with him. Yes, this is after. I would say, <laughs> let me reverse a little bit because now let's go to three months before when we first started working together. He's like, hey, I need some help with the finances. Okay. Typical stuff. 
So for those three months, we've been helping him like we did with that first investor, get everything in order, make sure that he knows where he is and started building like the profit first assessment and the rollout plan and like knowing where he was with his cash. So we come to him and this is December. Yeah, I can remember it because it was cold and I was inside. I had like a jacket on and sitting there at my desk, I pull up the numbers and I'm like, this is going to be a little rough anyway, probably because like he was in the red, you know, like it was negative, like his, what his p was showing from the financial statements and what his cash was showing from the profit first assessment. And so I showed him, started walking through and he had his right hand guy on there. And he like within 10 minutes, I was starting to show him the numbers and he just like, he said, okay, bye. And then like quick zoom off and, you know, I'm like, oh man, what's going on? <laughs> like sat there bewildered. And then he called me later on and just said, you know what? Finances have always been a sore spot in my life as far as just you know, I didn't know where I've been. It's been confusing. He's like, he's like, thank you. You know, like during that call, he said, thank you. I think now we can get to the point of, I know where we are. It sucks, but like, we have to move forward from here. He's like, I apologize for hanging up. I was embarrassed, had my, you know, had my leadership team on the call. And he's like, I, but they needed to see it. I needed to see it. And so like, let's move forward from here. Um, I, yeah. I'm just I'm, I'm always I'm sorry to interrupt, David, but I'm just oh, always okay. so taken back by these super successful entrepreneurs who have a leadership team and, you know, things of that nature. And then when it comes down to like the things that you would think that maybe they would know or they would have figured out a long time ago. But they, I mean, they've been successful. They've been killing it. They've been providing for their family. But again, these things you see and they're, they're just like so small, so mundane, get so big. It's just like, it, it's, it's all, all, I always kind of just take a step back. Like, man, like. That's why I started this company. Like no one has that advocate, you know, to just tell basic financial, like, this is what you need. Very plain cut and dry. And yeah, I mean, he was successful, very successful. And then the next year started implementing profit first and going through the, and actually getting it down deep into the core. And at the end of that year, they were, they were very much in the black, had their first seven figure year overall. Cause the, up till then they had kind of been hitting the ceiling a couple of times, you know, of like getting there, but like they broke the seven figure for real revenue. Like this is the property profit they made over this year was over a million dollars. And like they made over a 20% net profit, you know, like on that in the year. And like, it was an amazing year after that, but boy, that was a rough time because it was like, what in the world's going on? Like he just hung up on me. Like we, we, at least we know where we stand. We can move forward. And, but I didn't even know, I didn't know if he would call me back or whatnot. I reached out to him later in the day, like, how you doing? That's when he had called me back. But thankfully his story has a good ending. And like now there, we're still working with them several years later now. And he's still, they're still on a great trajectory. They've got a bigger team. They were, we get, we put the systems processes in place and he's like, I don't have to worry about the financial side. You know, like that's not something that's where we have the high level meetings. We know what's going on. I can make these decisions, but like, we don't have to worry about that. I don't have to, you know, lose sleep over this anymore at night. You know, like that. I know something horrible were to happen. We know what levers we need to pull in either to for a parachute or a rocket engine, you know, to take it off, depending on, you know, like how the market moves too. So that was definitely one of my favorite stories. That's in the introduction of the book and starting off with he hung up on. I mean, that was just that was definitely one of the most eye opening moments for me. It was early on in my career and help, mm-hmm. helping people. How did you decide on the name Simple CFO? I'm a simple person. You know, I 
I like to learn. I'm a voracious reader. I love all of that. But honestly, like I gain a lot of the knowledge from other people and from what I've been taught or, you know, like examining what I've been taught and making sure like, is this what aligns with my values? But I'm at the core, I'm simple. Like I want to make things as simple as humanly possible because that's how I need them as an owner. I need stuff given to me as simply as possible so I can make decisions. That's why simple CFO, I don't think there's a lot of people out there that can make it simple to say, here's a step-by-step process. Yeah, it's going to take some time to set up. Yeah, it's going to take this or that. But like, here's what you need to do in order to not worry about the finances. You know, no, no matter if you've done one deal or a thousand deals, like there's a system to help you, you know, like to get into the rhythm and the habits that you need. So that's when I started Simple CFO. I wanted to, to reflect a value of mine, like keeping things simple and really making sure people understand. Yeah, I love it. We'll end the segment with this. You've been in this profession for quite some time and you've seen some unscrupulous things to say the least. And you've seen some amazing things, obviously, and you've experienced and done some amazing things. What of those bad recommendations do you consistently hear on stages? Do you hear on podcasts? Do you hear even amongst your friends in the space that are doing exactly what you're doing, but maybe a little bit of a different way? What are some of those bad recommendations that you hear in your area of expertise that you maybe just want to clear up for our listeners here today? As far as your point of view, make your stance that this is what people are saying, and this is absolutely not what I believe. What are some of those? A lot of the groups, and I would say a lot of these groups have turned around more recently, and I think it's because of the profit first mentality uh, going through those groups, but everyone focusing on that top line revenue versus the bottom line, you know, just saying I've got a million dollar business, woohoo, but like they're still in the red at the end of the day, you know, like that was one of the things that helped me start my business was like you said, you said so many successful entrepreneurs out there that look successful, but are really hurting. And that's one of the things that I think gets per, gets perpetuated by a lot of the, the false statements we hear, like the regular formula sales minus expenses equals profit, you know, like just hearing that or like, make sure you've got, make sure you pay everyone else. And, you know, like maybe you don't need to take a salary because you want to get the, the company off the ground. And it's like, well, no, we've got to build this from an actual business. Maybe your business idea isn't good enough to support a salary for yourself now, you know, like maybe it's, maybe you need to do some more market research and provide more value to more people, but like top line revenue is not always the answer. That's where everyone says, Oh, sales fixes everything. You know, like that's something we hear all the time too. And that's just another way of, I hear it like top line revenue. So let's just pour on the top line revenue. But like, do you have the operational systems to handle more top line? Do you have the financial systems to handle more top line? Like just because you've pour more fuel on the fire, is that fire going to decimate you? You know, like, is this a bad fire that's burning down your building? Or is this, you know, a good fire that's helping, you know, lift a rocket ship? You know, we have to know what our business is. Like, should we pour gasoline, you know, like on the rocket ship? Yes. Or to make sure it goes up. Or is this a building that's burning down? So like we have to take it from that perspective too. And I just think that's been repeated a lot in the real estate masterminds that we've been to and that and, you know that I've been a part of. But more recently, I will say there a lot of people, a lot of the good masterminds are focusing more on the bottom line now too. So which is very encouraging. But I say that's one of the biggest things that just perpetuates that mindset over and over again. This episode is brought to you by Fundrise. It's never been easier to become a real estate investor. With as little as $500, 
Watch your money passively work for you by investing in real estate through a crowdfunding platform like Fundrise. In just a few minutes, you can invest in hundreds of highly vetted multi-million dollar properties such as hotels, apartment buildings, and offices all around the U.S. Based on your financial goals, Fundrise will detail a few REITs, real estate investment trusts, for you to choose from. With the click of a button, you can own fractional shares of really amazing deals that before the Jobs Act of 2012 were impossible for the everyday non-accredited investor to even hear about, much less invest in. Now, what I like about Fundrise is their ridiculously low advisory fees. So dig this at 1.5%, my actual returns on Fundrise are outperforming my stated returns and other assets, even though they advertise higher returns. So Fundrise has no hidden costs, no management fees, no unfavorable terms. And for the BTM tribe, head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash Fundrise. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E for your first three months of advisory fees totally waived. Yes, the actual only fee that Fundrise charges is being waived for three months. Simply head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash Fundrise and welcome yourself to a real alternative to investing in the stock market. That link one last time is beforethemillions.com forward slash Fundrise. Lifestyle design acceleration hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? I'll say Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I'll be, I'll just say the one that kicked it all off. Because honestly, I read so many books. It's like, I don't know if I've read my favorite book yet. Because mm. I keep reading amazing ones. Um, I'm going through the book Boundaries. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. I would highly recommend that. Henry Cloud and John Townsend, both doctors. And they are it's an amazing book, honestly, for myself. If you grow yourself and your value, you're going to bring that value to other people. So that's another one I'm going through right now that I highly recommend. I love it. I love it. We'll put both of those in the show notes. What's your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. Google Calendar. <laughs> I put everything on my calendar all the time. I schedule. I've started doing the Profit First Life every Sunday evening. And I schedule out my time for the week with my family. I do the most important things to me first, just like the profit account and the owner's comp and the owner's tax. I do that with family, faith, you know, like the things I need before, you know, the things that I have to do, you know, or whatnot. So like making sure I make time for the biggest things in and in my business, like versus being in the business all the time. What do I need to work on this week? So that's another thing that I use my calendar for regularly. I love that. I love that concept. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? Going through every Sunday and putting it on my calendar, like from seven to about eight 30, I play with my four-year-old daughter every morning. If she wakes up on time and wakes up a little early and like that time is set aside for her in the night. I've got an, I've got a time blocked out for her and my wife at separate, you know, like to make sure I have time with my wife and with my daughter. And I'm like, if that makes me not grow as much right now, I'm okay with that. You know, like when in the business, because I want to make sure these relationships are healthy. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? Probably more of the beliefs that I had that just weren't true and really questioning everything that I did and why I did it. That's probably the most sacrificing I've done because everything else really aligns. What I want to do is align with the core values of who I am. 
So the most sacrificing I had to do was become better for the people, for myself and the people around me. And like sacrifice, I say sacrifice, but in the end, it's been way better. So I had to build up who I was. So I would say that's been one of the biggest sacrifices. Yeah, I love it. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? Uh, That's one person, really. Like I'm a tribe of people here. Like David Richter is a come compendium of people. I you love know, it. Um, my wife, my daughter, my, my parents, you know, my in-laws are amazing. Like I have, I have a CFO on my team who helps us. I've got, you know, my right-hand person, I've got mentors, Gary Harper. I shouldn't start naming people, but like, there are just, there literally hundreds Sli- of people. Slippery yeah. slope. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's yeah. a very slippery slope because yeah. <laughs> I am beyond humbled the people that have poured into me so I yeah. could give back. I love it. I love it. I love it. Last but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention of getting to the millions? It is about building your value. Once you value yourself and you value the value you can bring to others, it will come. It just will. You'll be able to bring. And especially if you know yourself, you're going to be in alignment with who you are and not something that you don't want to do. Some people are in real estate and make millions and they hate it, but they've made millions, you know, but that's not what they really should be doing or what they wanted to do. They just saw it as a path to wealth and then they end up unhappy. But if it does align with who you are, if you love real estate and a lot of real estate investors do, that's a very small percentage that don't. But that's where I would say, what do you have to offer? And if you don't, if you can't say anything, that you have to offer, then go on a deep dive into yourself. Who are you? What do you like? What could you bring to others? That is the most important thing. And then when you live out those values, that value is going to reflect in other people and you're going to be able to help them get to where they want to be. And now you're even, you're, you're reinforcing the value that's inside of yourself. And if you keep that cycle going, that's better than any other short hit that you can get. So that's what I would say about yeah. That's all I have to say about that. Favorite answer. Love it. Love it. Love it. Absolutely. Mr. Richter, if the listeners want to learn a little bit more about you, they want to ask you a question or two, maybe just pop in and say hi, find out a little bit more about what you got going on in the business. Where can they find some of your information? Two major places. One, if you want to work with us, simplecfosolutions.com. Just go there. It tells very clearly what we do and what we're all about. And then if you're like, I just need free information, you know, I don't have. I don't have the money for a fractional CFO in my business or a CFO. And you just want to learn the Profit First concepts. We have ProfitFirstREI.com where I have a podcast also as well that teaches. I have over 50 episodes, like uh, 40 published, but like over 50 people that have already implemented in their in their real estate investing business. I teach a little bit about the mindset and concepts too, just to make sure you have a good foundation. So that's the educational side. And that's where the book will launch to Profit First for Real Estate Investing and everything else. I love it. What's the name of the podcast again? Profit First for Real Estate Investors. I, there we go. There we go. Easy peasy. And that will be in the show notes, ladies and gents. Mr. Richter, thank you for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. And we'll talk to you very soon. Thank you very much.